Introducing the revolutionary new game, Pac-Man! Welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Getting 5 out of 5 from IGN, it's The World Ends with Jeb Wrench. I paid good money for that review. Scoring a 7 out of 10 on Why Do I Put Up With This Crap Monthly, it's Fox Lee. Prime ah, Tribulations. I'm awake. <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't a good joke. And I am still under a review embargo, Talon Lee. <laughs> I'm going to break your review embargo right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> hey Jeb, what you been playing? Uh, well, uh, nothing actually. Uh, I was planning on spending Easter celebrating the, the birth of our Lord and Savior by playing Diablo, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, We're the best gaming podcast. <laughs> my, my HDMI cable died, so that uh, left me with not much to do. Aww. That's really shame. Sorry to hear it, man. So, Talon, what have you been playing? <laughs> For the most part, I've been playing The Secret World, and I've been playing a lot of The Secret World, and mostly because I have friends who want me to be playing The Secret World. So then, when I stop playing The Secret World with those friends, I go and play Heroes of the Storm with other friends. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> How come you're not playing anything with me? Because you don't like either of those games, apparently. Neither did you until people said, hey, come play this with me. Yeah, this is true. On the other hand, one of them lets me wonder just think, Go on, just think, minutes ago I was talking about possibly buying the Secret World. Like, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I'm I see where I, I see where I rank now. <laughs> I am the worst. So <laughs> Makes you feel any better, Jeb? I'm married to him and I'm not getting any playtime with him. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> I now legitimately feel really awful. I'm so sorry, people. <laughs> sorry, I'm going to kidnap you and make you play Never Alone, at least. So, um, so, so yeah, Fox, what have you been playing? I finally caved and bought an actual X-Input compatible controller. <laughs> Fucking X-Input, I hate you. Um, it doesn't sound like a game. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, it happened because I was playing Never Alone, which is... Uh, uh, I've been using, uh, what is it, X360CE or whatever it's called. This is like an emulator thing that fakes your controller being an X-Input controller. Um, but it seems to not work for Unity games in particular. There's <laughs> some documentation about this. I don't really understand it because I don't know shit on that level. I'm not that kind of a programmer. And what we refer to as a shit programmer. I, I, I believe that's technically a proctologist. <laughs> they don't program shit. What's wrong with you? No, they just program the OS around it. Okay, that's more a hardware issue, Talon. I think your concept of this might be a little bit skewed. Anyway, so now you have your new controller. Look, anyway. there's no reason to get anal about this. <laughs> the point is, Never Alone is unplayable if you can't aim the rollers properly, so I had to stop playing it, which really pissed me off. Um, and then Talon got Ori in the Blind Forest. Uh, which is fucking gorgeous, and I wanted to play it very much, especially since Steam now has this library sharing feature. Yeah, um, which is, by the way, I really like that feature. Yeah. I'm very glad they've done that. I was super surprised they did such a thing. Well, it's been uh, around for a while. I know a lot of people are using it. Yeah, um, I learned that apparently it's it, they're, they're forgiving enough of it that there are families where, uh, the example I could give you, the dad is actually um, in Korea. 
and is doing his uh well i don't think it matters where you are yeah and and it seems to just be a case of give permission to this person yes no yeah it doesn't matter who they are i know lots of couples who do it long distance couples who do it Mm, which is amazing and lovely yeah that's really cool anyway Uh, allison and i intend on doing it eventually too (laughs) it's a level of commitment you know we're sharing (laughs) our steam collection anyway so i've been playing that but i also had to stop playing that I also had to stop playing that recently because I got up to the bit where you're escaping from the tree once it starts flooding, and I spent about three hours trying to bite my own teeth. I have very rarely heard someone as audibly frustrated <sighs> as you were with that section of that game. <laughs> you guys told me that it gets really hard, and I was like cruising along before that point, going, "This really is not that hard. Like, this is a tricky bit, sure, but like, and then just like, bam, difficulty curve gone." Difficulty spike. <laughs> Holy shit. Welcome to Super Meat Boy, motherfucker. Ugh, not a lot of fun. I'm not very fond of the whole hook shot and grab. Oh, wait, you haven't gotten this far yet, have you? No, I stopped playing the game when I knew you wanted to play it because I figured it would be better to let you finish it first. One of the air control things you get is basically a slingshot that you can target on projectiles or certain pieces of scenery or enemies. Well, that sounds like it could be cool. It is pretty cool, but they put it on a button where I don't really like it. Ah. And the range at which you can grab things is really very small. Um. And aiming it is not super duper fun either. So it just turns out to be a frustrating experience because you have to do this like 17 fucking times in a row perfectly during this bit of the game. Want to eat it? The real Dark Souls starts here. <laughs> it, it does raise the question. Nothing about my gaming failure. But it, it does raise the question to me of exactly how long can a game ask you to play and not screw up. <laughs> Well, it depends what kind of game we're talking about, mm. um, because turn-based stuff is going to be inherently a lot more forgiving about that kind of thing. Yeah, um, but consider Hotline Miami versus Hotline Miami 2. I haven't played Hotline Miami 2, so this is not coming from direct personal experience, but one of the comments I've heard regularly is because the levels are bigger, when you die because of something you couldn't control or just whenever you die, you don't get knocked back 25 seconds, 30 seconds of work, you get knocked back two, three minutes. Ooh. And that can feel like a re- like in, in absolute terms, there's not that much difference between those amounts of time. Sure there is. But it feels like so much more. Okay, in, in action terms, that's a long fucking time. Like, talk about uh, editing videos or editing sound. You've done this. Yeah. Two, three minutes is forever. Yeah. And, and you know, that's true of any action-based game as well. But on the other hand, I've heard people talking about Monster Hunter 4, particularly Quinn's of the Shut Up and Sit Down uh, folks. He said that the most endurance-driven boss in that game taught him to not screw up for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. I I do not... like I, I, I imagine surely he's got to be exaggerating that number. <laughs> well, it depends on one other thing as well, which is uh, how hard is it to not screw up? Like, that's... That is a wildly different thing for different games. Uh, Monster Hunter, that sounds like a reasonable amount of time for Monster Hunter 4. Right. Like, I'm going to assume that's, you know, tracking it and finding it and moving around it as well. It's not just one 40-minute slugfest like your Muhammad Ali. No, it's about probably about three or four 20-minute slugfests. Right. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Which, guess... again, if you mess up too much, then it's, it's, it's not that you have to play perfectly unless you're going for particular um, sub-objectives or sub-quest goals, like break off certain parts of the monster. But usually you can get, you, you have a little bit of leeway. You can, you can certainly bring along a lot of, a lot of, uh, healing with you. Right. Uh, 
last part of that question is probably how much fun is the experience even if you do screw up? Like, if the the experience of play is enjoyable enough that you don't have to succeed every time, then you've got no problems. But if you're playing something like WoW, where the actual game experience is not super duper fun to start with... You know what else this reminds me of? In the, Jeb in the, case, oh, on, in the case of Monster Hunter, uh, when you screw up, usually something really funny happens, because quite often you're <laughs> sent literally flying. <laughs> so that can that can make it a little bit worthwhile. Uh, I know that when I've when I've played, uh, had some really hilarious mess ups that uh, actually keep the the, the, the the screw ups from being too uh, disheartening. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Uh, I another game that I know Jeb knows certainly better than I do is Dwarf Fortress, <laughs> which is pretty much one long, slow, protracted fail state. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How's this then? The ultimate goal of Dwarf Fortress is the ultimate goal of Dwarf Fortress is to lose in the most spectacular way possible. Really? The, well, there's no win state, but losing is fun. Okay. Uh, at some point, it, it is certainly possible to make sure that your steer fortress is secure and safe, and everyone thing is running well, and everything is protected, and it's really fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my most recent fortress uh, wound up being attacked by the Were Llama. Llama. Were Llama. I see. I sent out my military. We dispatched the Were Llama. Everything was good. We brought the survivors of the of, from the military down to the the hospital room. At which point we were discovered through uh, through accident that uh, two of the soldiers got bit by the Were Llama, <laughs> and then turned into Were Llamas in the middle of the hospital. No, you didn't immediately execute the infected dwarves. <laughs> well, we didn't know they were infect. Didn't know they were infected. <laughs> Until they turned into were llamas. Ah, so you should just burn them all. <laughs> we lost forty dwarves that day. What you know? We is actually, a released your investment. We <laughs> released the we released the were the, the the vampire mare to to help deal with the were llama problem. <laughs> so in case the the vampire mare uh, behind stone walls. Oh, that in was order vampire to do our accounting. library misty, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Dwarf Fortress is a hard game in part because there's no victory state. You're, you're mostly just trying to keep a whole bunch of systems in some degree of stasis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, anything, you're trying to tell a story. <laughs> mm. Because something very amusing will almost, or interesting will happen when you play Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> right. Whereas there's games like Dark Souls, which are much vaunted for difficulty, but that also do things like allow infinite retries. Um, I think Dark Souls 2 um, actually is slightly wonky on that front because it's possible to brute force eventually kill everything in an area enough. 12. 12. 12. Yeah, well, if you deal. kill it in, in Dark Souls 2, if you kill if you kill an enemy an enemy spawn 12 times, that spawn will no longer occur. Ironically, I think that was putting there to stop you from grinding too hard. Huh. So there's an XP system in Dark Souls too. Yeah. Well, the soul system. I haven't played these games. As you commit murder, as you commit murder, you gain souls, which are experience and currency. It's not really murder when they're all dead already. Not all of them are dead already. Well, pretty much all. You of can them. certainly murder living things in Dark Souls games. Statistically speaking, Fox says they were probably dead already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dead now. <laughs> they certainly are. Most of the things that aren't already dead are monsters or bosses that are actively, very, very proactively trying to kill you. Anyway, sometimes, almost yes, I'll give you that. Or they're always. just, or they're livestock. 
<laughs> Don't accidentally attack any cats. Now, like, the the central uh, theme of Dark Souls is this punitive approach to difficulty, but also the ability to almost endlessly iterate. Yeah, well, it's... The difficulty of it is in the execution. Yeah, which might be well like Super Meat Boy and Ari. The difficulty in Dark Souls is staving off boredom of having to replay through the same section to get to the part that you had to dribble with. <laughs> yeah. Well, with, with Super Meat Boy and Hotline Miami, and I'm not going to say Ori necessarily, but with Super Meat Boy and Hotline Miami, it's a very fast pace, and if you screw up, you're only knocked back a few seconds at a time. And the reloading on both of those games is lightning fast, because they knew that they were going to make you do that again. Ori does reload incredibly quickly. Um, as to how far you get set back, that really depends on where you put your save points. You mm-hmm. do get game-based save points as well. Yeah. But, you know, there's definitely stretches where you want to put one down. Now, in Dark Souls, the reloading, going back to where you were, that's not that fast. But then again, the whole game isn't very fast. They kind of no. want you to be very deliberate in how you move. I don't think that's a problem. Though I, I can see what some people say about it being more about learning the script of an area. Because, mm. uh, you know, that guy's always there. That that person always throws a fireball. And yeah, you know, you, you can't get used to an area so much that you can pretty much cruise through it as long as you don't, you know, stop paying attention. Mm. It's a very deliberate pace. I called them Risen, didn't I? Close enough. <laughs> They're hollow. I, I laugh because that's from Fire Emblem. Uh... <laughs> They're hollows. They're hollow. Uh, we had to get our obligatory fire implemented. <laughs> the uh, the the other the, the the thing I found in Dark Souls is uh, the game is at its hardest when it goes against that when it go, when it goes against itself. Yes. Um, when like the, the the most difficult boss fights aren't about iteration and learning patterns. Uh, they're about attrition or just damage raising. Yeah, reaction speeds. Roll, motherfucker. Now in. Uh, uh, the Four Kings is basically a damage raise. I think I mentioned this there's before. A spawn, there's, a, there's a spawn of a new king every, I think, 45 seconds or a minute or something like that. Holy crap. Huh. So you have to down really each fast. king really fast. So you have to damage raise these, which is a nice change of pace, but it also, it, it it's a form of difficulty that is different from the way you played the rest of the game. <laughs> and they call them the Four Kings, there can be up to, I think, six. I haven't gotten that far. I think I've mentioned this before, but I haven't gotten very far in Dark Souls at all, because I started with a two-axe-wielding character, decided to completely forego shields, and then accidentally attacked a shopkeeper really early on, so I got no bows either. But you did get the Yuji Katana, didn't you? No. I, I oh, got axes. Kill... Are you not listing axes? I well, no, but things. when you when you kill the shark people, you get the Uchi Katana. Shark she people? She didn't kill him. She just hit oh, him. Oh, no, no, I didn't kill him. I just hit him and oh. I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't mean to do that. I'll just run away. Oh, well, if you could have killed him, I'm pretty sure the one that you're talking about is the one that drops the Uchi Katana. I don't want it. Anyway, the point is axes. <laughs> you I see went, it. I'm going to carry a pair of axes and chop things in the face. Yeah, Fox has this attitude towards video games where she very much wants to approach them on her terms. And yes. Dark Souls is a game that wants you to approach it on its terms. Yeah. Dark Souls lets you play play it for the most part in any way you want. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it asks you in a few places to have some form of ranged attack. That's about it. It's not like you can't play it other ways, but there are certainly easier ways to play it. Like, you fucking want a bow. Yeah. <laughs> but, again, but enemies will drop those. It's like a self-imposed hard mode that you don't get any reward for in a game that's already pumped up for being hard. Now, the, the, the you, can that... start, you can you can beat you can beat Dark Souls one and certainly Dark Souls two dual dual wielding shields. So, 
Yeah. Well, shields are a lot more useful. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Shields are really good still. Right. Uh, and we have now the recent discussion around Bloodborne, which is taking a lot of the Souls formula and making it more, well, rewarding of recklessness. Now, any of us played this? None of no. us have played this okay. as far as I know. So we're not really in a good position to no. observe on that. This is just what we've heard. I have had Holiday quite happily talk at them for what I'm sure is far too many messages about it, but... Now, hold on a second. Loading. Okay, go ahead. Do we need to pull Jeb out and blow no, put no. it back in? Oh man, that that would be the next step if Bloodborne <laughs> used the Nest controller. <laughs> no, uh, Bloodborne's loading times are something of, of a, a meme. <laughs> I say the four games are not it. necessarily in this group, but I would love to see a challenge where you just have to cut buttons from your goddamn AAA game. <laughs> Use fewer controls. I've I've watched a, a fair few Bloodborne streams and. The, the loading times are not ex- are not exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the thing is, the, the loading times in Dark Souls 1 Dark Souls 2 weren't great. Yeah. But they did at least give you the item descriptions. <laughs> you could, you know, do something while you were yeah, loading. Yeah. You could get a bit of lore, you get a bit of information. Bloodborne's loading screens just says Bloodborne. They should put a little minigame in there, like they did for Okami when it was on PS2. Jen never got uh, to see that it, I just is, got told about it afterwards. That is, copy, it that, that is patented. Yeah? By Konami. Yeah. Putting a minigame on the loading screen is patented. Patented by Konami. That, I, I want to see that hold up in court, frankly, because that's one of the dumbest fucking things anyone has ever tried to patent. Uh, Nintendo has... What, 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 I can't remember what it is now. Nintendo has a really ridiculous patent. Yeah, Nintendo they has They probably do, because uh, big companies just spray patents around in case anything sticks. Wizards of the Coast have a patent on demonstrating that an object's resources are expended. By turning its items. No. They, they, they have a shotgun-style set of patents around Magic the Gathering, which start with, we are going to patent mana, si- we're going to patent, patent mana symbols, mana systems, lands, we're going to patent the tap symbol, and we're also going to patent what the tap symbol does. And the point was made during the Darren Ryder case that of these, basically only the tap symbol could possibly stand up. Yeah. And even then, it's really dead, it's really dubious, but... Doesn't change the fact that Wizards of the Coast spent the money in file patents on everything. Doesn't change the fact that the patent system is stupid and broken and needs to be fixed. Yes. On the other hand, thanks to the patent system, we now have open source open source information for the creation of a public transport system spaceship. Anyway, Kanawa couldn't possibly get that stick because if nothing else strong, I did it a bunch of times. Oh, oh, right. Nintendo owns the uh, patent for a sanity meter in a video game. <laughs> yeah, you see what I mean? This patent's a bullshit. Yeah. Uh, but Fox, why don't you talk, talk to us for a little bit about the difficulty in Fire Emblem? <laughs> well, it's not as difficult as people say it is, really. Um, people got very, very upset in Radiant Dawn, where they converted the uh, mid-battle save to a, a quick save, basically. Every turn you could save and return just to the start of that turn. Um, only on oh, normal thank difficulty. God. But... <laughs> oh, thank yeah. fucking Christ. I had no real problem with that. That was totally fine by me, but people who liked I the remember series because playing of half... got really pissy. I remember playing half hour long or so <laughs> battles, yeah. losing a single character to a critical hit on the last <laughs> fucking turn. <laughs> and that's why I have never 100%ed a Fire Emblem game. 
<laughs> yes, well, but there you are. That is precisely the thing. <laughs> what um, and clearly it wasn't popular because they took it out again for Awakening, which is pretty much... Awakening is what you get when you do a Fire Emblem game by fan consensus, basically. They took all the oh. things that people said they liked best about the previous ones, like the, the multi-generational characters and the the class branching and the retraining and the... The gay. Not the actual gay. <laughs> it's just got less gay than gay. Radiant Dawn. Radiant uh, Dawn had an actual lesbian. It was amazing. <laughs> are they allowed to do that? She like full-on hits on other women and is not ambiguous or anything and then there's no support where she basically takes it back and marries a man. Holy fuck! It is, is she a grotesque stereotype or a joke? <laughs> or is... No, no, she's pretty neat. No. She's a she's a dubiously aligned thief who, um, oh, there is a thing where she's stealing to save her sick mother, so she's a bit of a stereotype, but she's not a lesbian stereotype. Yeah. She's just a thief stereotype. <laughs> yeah, well, thief is not a race. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, that's classist. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of classism in there, but that's for a whole different discussion. <laughs> well, the, yeah, uh, no, she's she's cool. The discussion of video game, like typically when difficulty comes up in video games, often what gets you know hidden underneath it is the discussion of accessibility. And Jed just mm-hmm. mentioned these half-hour battles where at the end of it you fuck up. Well, 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 just a random chance happens and something really terrible ruins your experience of the game. And the implication the game has is if you want to avoid this, start over. That, yeah, yeah. That doesn't respect the player's time in the same way. There's um. I was really, really glad when Fire Emblem went back to the handhelds. There was quite a fuss made when Radiant, uh, when Path of Radiance happened and it was back on the home consoles. People were like, yay, this is where the series belongs. It's getting the respect it deserves. But no, no, it, it should be on handheld. It should be something you can flip open and play a couple of turns in and, you know, put it away when your bus gets to where you're going or whatever. That's, that's a really good way to handle a turn-based strategy game. Having to, you know, go to a separate room or, or shift from your computer to the couch or whatever and play the... You can spend multiple hours on a map easily in it, the mainline series. It's an unconscious expression of the values you expect of the game. In the, let's face it, a lot of games are still being designed for kids. Not yeah. marketed, but the fact of, like... Kids. Well, especially Nintendo games, and, and yeah. they are usually still being marketed to, if not little kids, older kids at least, but yeah. still kids. Uh, we, we They're have... being marketed to Nintendo fans, let's be honest. Yeah, true. <laughs> that too. But like, here in Australia, kids get one six-week break. I, I bet that six-week break is used to clock through a lot of video games. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe so. In the United States, there's a three-month break. In Canada, there's a two-month break, I think it is. Three months? Jesus they, they take the entire summer off. Um, the summer's not even that bad. Sissies. <laughs> well, the, anyway, the, the point is uh, that these are being made... It's about, it's about two months for us, two and a half. Yeah. The, these things are being made for and targeted at consumers who have long, uninterrupted streaks in time, even if these games are quite clearly not aimed at actual children. Like, Dark Souls is not a game for little kids. It's clearly not designed for people like that. Well, I mean, in one way, developers were trained to design games like that. Yeah. Because- I mean, games used to be for kids, and then the way that you handle time investments 
you know, was modeled on that rather than on thinking about what an older audience would necessarily think was a good time frame for a game. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't care what anyone says that the the complete lack of a pause button in Dark Souls is ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> they Dark Souls has a very sort of flavor is God uh, philosophy, like. From top down, there's a lot of stuff which would be bad user experience design, except that it's all in aid of you know presenting that feeling of what Dark Souls is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you like that is definitely a personal preference. I but... I also do not enjoy lacking a pause button at all. Well, I have not there, there are times that. when I simply simply I have to get up and do something. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. without there's there's no. It's a it's a medical accessibility issue here, and and the lack of respect for a player that, that demonstrates is it it says to any player who has that situation, look what your pro- if you have a kid who who needs attention on a semi regular basis, this game isn't for you. Yeah. If you're if you're a shift worker, if you're possibly going to go on call, if you have to answer calls late at night, if you have to answer a phone, yeah, with no notice. If you have a weak bladder. Yeah, all of these things pile... <laughs> if you have a pet that's particularly demanding. All these things pile together, and in aid of its flavor, Dark Souls has said, look, we're going to tell those players, with those very legitimate reasons and very legitimate um, needs, that we don't care about them as much as we care about our flavor. Which is at even least a flavor. bit dickish. I guess actually even with the flavor, that's not a very good case necessarily, because... Adding in a, a pause function doesn't mean you have to pause during the menus or, you know, pause while you're rummaging through your inventory or anything. You can just no. have an actual pause button that does nothing except blank the screen or whatever. Yeah. Freeze the state and, you know, yeah. shut down the online connectivity. There you go. You, you could even get kind of, you know, you, you could even put limits on it. Like, you know, no, you can't pause in combat. Or if you pause, your body drops down dead in this area and you, you know, you're a ghost there. Like, that's no, how we signified pause. Terrible idea. Well, uh, you could just do that with a dark sign. Oh, good, good point. I don't know this game very well. The, the point is that if we the jump dark across... Souls does, dark Souls does give you essentially a, 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 a hollow yourself button, a, like a suicide button. No, uh, yeah, it just kills you and sends you back to the bonfire, yeah. In... When, when I reviewed Hotline Miami, I finished it in one sitting. I sat down at nine in the morning and I stood up again at five and I had not done anything that day <laughs> aside from play Hotline Miami. And that game was very hard and very frustrating. Like even just remembering some of the, the choke points that game gave me, I'm just, I'm surprised I finished it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, I don't think many of my friends, when I first, when I first sat down and wrote about that game, I had in the back of my head, I know so many people who will not be able to finish this game in one sitting. I know so many people who will pro- like. Uh, I, I have I have a friend who has a, a bad heart. I'm not going to recommend that they play Hotline Miami because it's too frustrating. If it, you know, I don't want to increase someone's blood pressure over a video game in a way that's that relentless. Uh, so accessibility in difficulty, um, they don't have to be at odds, but we've got all these design metrics and mantras in place that kind of put them there. Uh, which is why turn-based and, and puzzle-based uh, difficulty creates this other problem because there are so many puzzles that we have designed which, without even considering it, we have made hard to access. <laughs> Color-based puzzles or sound-based puzzles, Myst is a game that a deaf gamer couldn't play. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to talk about online connectivity as an accessibility issue as well, which is more or less a, a classism issue or a, well, 
Okay, I'm going to say racism, but I mean this in the sense that Australians understand racism to be, which is more about your nationality than your uh, phenotype or ancestry. Um, Mostly because I mean you whitewashed not... the country rather heavily already. <laughs> and the people we like to hate are Americans. We yeah. don't really care where they came from. We, we also, just, just just a disclaimer for anyone overhearing this, this is not a pair of Australians who do not think that uh, we don't treat the Aboriginal population. Oh, Jesus much. Christ, no, we fucked them. We are awful to them, and the current government can quietly burn if... if I'm, I I'm didn't really vote for those assholes. Yeah, I'm really not happy with setting that aside but yeah there's a lot of places where connectivity is not as reliable as it is in the uh, middle class American areas that the games are mostly designed to angle towards or the incredibly densely populated well infrastructure Japanese areas that the games are designed towards yeah so like you know trying to multiplayer Diablo 3 with oh. a friend I knew in real life was a horrible experience because yeah. we just got an absurd amount of lag, and every so often we'd be going fine, going fine, and we just both randomly died to something because the game wasn't working at its proper speed. Bear in mind, this friend of ours lived not only close enough that we, well, like we saw him every week. We could have done local multiplayer of this game. That wouldn't have been trouble at all. We could have landed, yeah. But that was not an option. We could have yelled across the street what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Um, similarly, um, it's going to come up again later, but The Secret World, the Secret World's download is very clearly designed for a country that doesn't have a problem. Oh, with holy shit, yes. My God. It's a 40 gig download, uh, and the way they handle it under Steam is that Steam will download a 13 gig downloader, and that downloader will then download the other 27 gig. Yeah, here's the thing for you. There are plenty of people in this country who don't even have that much download allowance per month. If you're on a cheap plan, probably have less than 40 gig a month. And to bring up another old star that we kind of, you know, we're very fond of, Never Alone. Uh, Never Alone is, someone sh someone showed the statistics on this, Never Alone is ultimately, it, it's heavily targeted so that people in the native areas in Canada and Alaska will be able to play it. It's a game for that culture. Oh, right, yeah. It's a game of that culture. Um, and that game is bigger than most download limits in those areas. Which um, I believe in none of it. You can buy extra download uh, limit, but it means that that game is not a thirteen dollar game or a fifteen dollar game. It's like a thirty five dollar game, and it consumes your entire internet for like a month. Sucks. And that's that's a sign of really weak infrastructure in that area. Didn't they really? Oh no, it's probably download only on PS3 as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think they made a physical copy. Yeah, and uh, I'm, that eats. I'm not. I'm not one to go. Andy Box people, if you're listening, this would be a good time to step in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That would be a good time. Well, that's, I mean, I don't really blame the developers so much for this because producing a physical copy of the game is a massive investment compared yeah. to making it available online. And, you know, there's only so much you can do to decrease the size of a game that, that looks and sounds as nice as that game does. Yeah, it's it's a sad thing about physical distro, in that physical distribution has a whole bunch of nice side effects once you can overcome the initial investment. Yeah. And for a small project like Never Alone, I say small, but for a project like Never Alone... <laughs> it is small in video game terms. In, in video game terms, it's small, but in cultural significance, it's kind of enormous. Um, it, nonetheless, it, physical distribution of that game would be tons easier because, you know, trucks go out to these parts of Nunavut far more often, you know, shipping things. You need to load that shit on flash drives. Yeah. Printing up, just saying, printing up bulk, uh, flat bulk USB drives, it's about $2 each. Actually, yeah, that, that's relatively affordable these days, isn't it? Yeah. That's a good thought. Yeah. So someone, 
you know, some wealthy grant giving people who want to do something nice, you know, strongly consider this. This mm. would not be a bad idea, distributing games to the people who, you know, for whom they are written. Uh, there's, there's also, um, language, the level of language in games. Um, there are not many games that use a dyslexic friendly font. <laughs> yes, well, there's not many, um, even if people understand it, it can be quite hard to find a dyslexic friendly font. I think they have an open source one now, but, yeah. but that's a relatively recent development. Because, I mean, okay, I I understand where it's coming from, but it's it's just cruelty to expect a designer to use Comic Sans. Yeah, well, I'm not saying they should use Comic Sans, though. The, the concern I would bring up is that most fonts are now used as part of the aesthetic of the game. Not definitely. And to then say, all right, in addition to the font you had designed for the aesthetic of this game, you need to do it again with these extra levels of understanding <laughs> on it, which can be hard. Uh, well, a lot of indie designers get too fancy with fonts anyway. They, yeah. You know, occasionally I've seen you know, sort of fantasy-style papyrusy kind of fonts used for just dialogue, and don't ever do that. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, okay, you can maybe use something with serifs that looks a bit more formal if you're not doing sort of a cute cartoony kind of game, but don't get fancy with body text. Yeah. Remember, sans serif is always easier to read on the screen. It is, yes. Just yeah, forget always. about that. Especially people who've come from physical typography who are like, no, no, serifs are always easy to read. Not on screens. Not on the screen. Read shit. Also, this, feel free to correct me, I'm pretty sure this is it. In, when you're talking about a light projecting system, like a computer screen or a film screen, pale text on a dark background is easier to read than dark text on a pale background. I don't know about that. Um, I've heard it said, but I find it nearly impossible to read white text on black background these days uh, because of my squished cornea. You shouldn't do uh, white on black. You should do, like, uh, gray on dark blue. Hmm. Okay. It's softer. Yeah, because I, I remember, learn, like, this is stuff I'm remembering from, believe it or not, back in the, back in the days of, like, actually typing prompt dollar sign P dollar sign G into DOS because we were doing things <laughs> to try and prevent screen burning. It is frustratingly difficult for me to read uh, a flat-out, like, command prompt screen these days. Yeah. Just this damn wonky eye. Well, that's why the Windows default is black background gray text. And it's now, mm -hmm. isn't it? That's still, that's almost as hard, frankly. Like, yeah. the gray is less intense than the white, definitely. Nothing smears together like white, actual white on actual black. But as for hard, like, really genuinely hard experiences... You don't have to go to this well of making a game unaccessible. Well, in some ways you do. I mean, there are always going to be ways of increasing difficulty, and not necessarily bad ways of increasing difficulty, that necessitate a, how would you say it, a predictably abled. There, there's all, I'm just elaborating on what Fox is saying. Like there, If you want to create a game that's based around uh, reflex and reaction time, you're going to lose some people. Yeah. yeah. If you create a game about reading, you're going to lose some people. Yeah. If you create a game about logic, you're going to, like, you know, every way of increasing difficulty, more or less, is going to cut you off from certain people. That is true. Uh, which is probably why you need to put in difficulty scaling, real, actual difficulty scaling. Yeah. To at least mitigate that as much as you can. You know, let people adjust things for whatever suits them. Some objective idea of, of a good difficulty is completely worthless. And related, Donja? No, uh, Silent Hill 2 yeah? has two different difficulty settings. One for combat and one for puzzles. 
Nice. That's a really good idea. The, the highest the highest level of puzzle difficulty has you arranging Shakespearean works by uh, chronological order. <laughs> and the, the like the lower difficulty only has you, you know, pointing at one or two. Like, oh yeah, this is Richard the Fourth and I, I don't remember the Yeah, like puzzle. identifying them. Right. There was a there was a really awful old game called Cypher <coughs> that had the same thing. You had multiple what? settings. A, a really old awful rail shooter game what? called Siberia. Oh 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 okay okay. I thought you were talking about a different Siberia. And we were going to have words. No no no. C Y Siberia. Look out, guys! It's on. <laughs> it's like wait. You said you don't you don't you don't bad talk Siberia in my, in my in, around me. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not that Siberia. No, this is this is an old uh, the Benoit Socal uh, adventure game is one of the finest games I've ever played. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> I'm talking about an old rail shooter. I don't even remember who made it. Where look, this this game you are playing a cyber hacker. That's actually your game title, and you are doing all your. Hacking. I'm okay with this so far. You're doing all your hacking <laughs> with your sunglasses, which have a computer in them. Oh my. They wrap around. This still sounds amazing, okay. And they are called Blades. Yes. All caps. Every time the glasses come up, they're mentioned as, you know, use your, all caps, Blades to scan this device. Is is it an acronym? Yeah, it's an acronym. Bullshit, loser ass, dumb, esoteric, sunglasses. Dumb. Yes! I did it! (laughs) Dumb. Uh, yeah, it is an acronym. I don't remember what for. But the I just covered that talent. Keep up. Try to keep up. But that game used uh, two difficulty sliders, and you had uh, one for the shooting sections and one for the puzzle sections. And as a seven-year-old kid, I couldn't do either of them. So, and, and if you tried to set them all the way down to minimum, so then if we made it, too, if we did that, we'd be too easy. Oh fuck off! Oh come on! But do you know what game did the system really well? System Shock One. Like, you know, you know, talent's going to talk about System Shock. There were difficulty sliders in that game? System Shock 1 opened with a screen with four sliders, and they would tell you what changed. Oh, that's good, yeah. The combat system, when you slid it all the way down, it's just like combat is easier. As you slid it, as you moved it up through, like, 1, 2, 3, 4, sorry, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, when you got to the, it was explaining, this is what's changed. You will bleed. You will have to get yourself medical care regularly. You will have to eat regularly, da, da, da. Um... What's that reminding me? And the story difficulty section went from there is no there you you'll progress through the story at your own rate. Nothing will happen until you trigger it, and triggers will happen <laughs> very close to things. And at the highest level of difficulty, it's like Shogun's gonna blow up Earth in ninety minutes. Go. <laughs> nice. Oh, and by the way, you won't know that. You don't get to see a timer. You have well, to you, actually. If it's real time. You can always time it yourself. Well, you also have to hack her to get information, and one of the pieces of information you will get in the early parts of the game is here is the timer on how soon before she blows up the Earth. Yeah. So System Shock had this, and Siberia, which was not very good, had this. Uh, it's reminding me of the Infinity Engine stuff. They had a similar thing mm. where there were like four, four or five stages of difficulty, and they would tell you all the, the you know, basically we're enforcing these bits of bullshit second ed rules. <laughs> we're enforcing these bits of bullshit second ed rules. It all comes uh, back the to the spirit, like the, the the spiritual successors, like the Dragon Age games, do that too. Yeah. Where yeah. the difficulty settings will say, you know. Uh, You'll have you'll you'll take less damage. Enemies will do more damage. Uh, their friendly fire is on or off. I was gonna say, frankly, I feel that's necessary in these games because the actual combat is so not the fun part of these games. <laughs> <laughs> not not by a strong point in almost all their games. 
Yeah, I really like knowing when I change difficulty setting what it is I'm changing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with another element of all this that's sadly fallen by the wayside, and I, I partly blame Capcom for this, hmm? cheat codes. Oh, I was going to say something similar about modding the Infinity Engine games, actually, because that's more or less the same thing. Like, either the developers built it in or someone's added it in afterwards, but either way, it's something you can use to, you know, just tweak that particular bit of the game that pissed you off or, or made it unplayable for you in a special way because of your individual capabilities. Cheat codes used to be just a thing you put in games. Uh, apparently, originally it started as dev tools, but eventually, right. yeah, it, makes became, sense. eventually it became kind of a feature. Yeah. And well, they probably sort of got left in by accident at first, and then they were like, oh, people love, you know, knowing something special, knowing something that gives them an edge in the game. Uh, and these things led to a great degree of increased accessibility in a way I didn't realize at first. I, I really didn't get this, but apparently uh, cheat codes, invulnerability codes, especially in platformers, mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. um, I don't remember who it was, but I had a friend, a, a reader actually, who mentioned that they had nerve problems, so fine motor control for extended periods of time right. was really problematic. Matter. but they could play a platformer all right most of the time and then every half hour or so it just all went to hell so having a cheat code to recover from those moments was really nice so cheat codes have since become kind of a thing that you hide behind uh accomplishments or paywalls in the case of capcom because this, this is what they do with dead rising also, frankly, little kids. Like, there are a lot of games I was too young to play when I picked them up, but I could play them because I had a cheat code, and, you know, I had fun. I enjoyed them. That's no less legitimate an experience than a person who played it because they were at the actual level the game was designed for. Yeah, and ultimately the, the diminishment of cheat codes and the get-good-scrub attitude is really territorial and kind of gross. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why I have the least respect in the world for people who bitched about, say, the difficulty in... Uh, new Mario games, yeah. like either, right. well, they just claim the newest one. What's that? 3D World? Yeah, uh, yeah. They just bitch about that being too easy in general. But of course, the DS one where you could uh, just get get the level run through if you were sick of trying to do it. Uh, and Tropical Freeze has the same system. Fuck you if you don't need that. It's not for you. You still get to play it being exactly as macho as you want to be. Just it's completely alone. Yeah, <laughs> I I couldn't believe people got pissy about that. I played. Mario 3D on the DS and without using that and holy crap that game is hard. <laughs> Mario games like, I, I don't know why they don't get talked about as being particularly hard because I find them punishingly hard. Another another interesting example of this whole difficulty thing is Yoshi's Island DS. Now <gasps> the Yoshi's Island the first like the, the Super Nintendo game is it's really one of the high water marks of that. That's probably one of the best games game. ever. Yeah I really really like Yoshi's Island. Uh, I, I actually have fond memories of when Fox was quite ill and we were dating. <laughs> oh yeah, that was fun. <laughs> and playing Yoshi's Island for that is it. I'm staying in bed. Play Yoshi's Island for me. Entertain me. <laughs> it was really sweet. Um, I really, really like Yoshi's Island. The DS game has a lot of the same trappings and mechanics, but the level design is very wonky in that for about the first third of the game, it's easy to get infinite lives. Like, it's just childishly yeah. easy to get more and more lives. But then when you get into the, the second or third third of the game, you, you just lose lives every You single need time. them. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, 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 its idea seems to be, look, we don't have to refine our level design in the second half of the game. We can make it memorization-driven because you can always go back to the first half of the game and grind for infinite lives. Yeah. And that struck me as really a failure of what was previously a beautifully conveyed game. 
Never mind that there's not really a place for one-ups in games these days anyway. Yeah. That's a cheat code I would never feel guilty about using these days. Infinite lives? No. That's that's just a way of saying I don't have infinite hours to pour into a fucking game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to work now. I'm a grown-up. That's how it goes. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, actually, I think that's, that's a pretty good place to end that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have some stuff to say about puzzles and the secret world of all things, uh, which is yeah, come up later. Hey, City of Heroes had... Uh... Well, a different kind of difficulty slider because it let you customize difficulty to your character build, which is really interesting. Yes. Because you had to acknowledge in that game that there were some builds that were so ridiculously much better at single target damage. Yeah. And some builds that were so much better at area stuff. We couldn't really punch through high level defenses. So, so to explain for Jeb's sake and for the listener. <laughs> would you rather <laughs> fight one or two really hard motherfuckers or would you rather blow up huge groups of enemies at once? City of Heroes difficulty slider after the uh, was revised and the revised version is the thing we're talking about where you get to approach someone at the start of the game and say all right this is how tough i am this is how cool i am and they say do you want to fight things that are equal to your level just below your level or up to five points above your level and it was point by point degrade so you could get you could be running at minus one through to plus five so that meant that you would be fighting things like if you're i'm a level 16 character and i'm facing level 21 bad guys which no matter the game, that is legitimately terrifying that's badass as hell but you could also say, I want to fight as if I am more than one person, because when in City of Heroes, when more than when extra people joined a team, the team the, the enemy spawns got more people, not higher level people. Yeah, God, this is something I want to see in MMOs now. I don't know if any of the other ones have done it. I haven't seen it since. But just the idea that, you know, what what spawns for you to fight is based on your goddamn team. It's not some fixed value when you have to adjust your team to fit. It's no get get you get however many friends you do or don't want. We'll make it fit. Yeah, so this meant that you would often find players before they did this system like me who would actually say, Hey look, I'm soloing, you're sitting around role playing, can I put you in my team so I've got more things to fight? <laughs> yeah, so you can make them spawn higher. And so when, make them when, spawn more plentifully. Yeah, so when the devs saw that behavior they were like, you know what, screw it. We clearly need to like some players want to fight bigger groups. So you could tell them, I'm two people, I'm three people all the way up to eight people. <laughs> so this is basically adjusting for friend accessibility. Yeah. If you don't have I other people to play bad. with, you can still get uh, you can still get an effectively bigger team if that's what you want. But it also meant that for players like me, when I was leveling up, say blasters, I would often run on four players at minus one. Right. Yeah. Because just giant masses of not particularly scary dudes. Yeah, that I could blow up in big clouds, and that was cool, and that was fun, and it was never all that overpowered but yeah that, that's a really good design decision i wish that they'd been i wish that more games could do something like that but a lot of them designed so that they can't mmos need to get a lot fucking better at difficulty scaling and level scaling and just all that shit yeah this and is... accessibility and <laughs> oh yeah. yes mmos mm, just need yes. to get better yeah we we expect better of you video games and we believe you can do it we certainly do and now it's time for Retro Game News. All the news that's fit to print for the month of April 2008. Here's a word from our sponsor, Gordon Freeman. Thank you, Gordon. Now we're going to do April 2008 in a special lightning fire round where there are going to be three guesses per object and then we're going to move the hell on. Lightning fire round? Yep, lightning fire. <laughs> Dragons do this shit, man. Alright then. So... It's the Ubisoft game. It's the Ubisoft game we're all sick of Ubisoft making. It's where it started. Assassin's Creed 2? Close. Wrong. <laughs> Assassin's Creed 2 is where it started. 
<laughs> That's kind of an amazing burn. <laughs> it filled me with hope and promise. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, Assassin's Creed 1. Yes, yeah. ding. Okay, it's a RTS. It is an RTS that promises an enormous sense of scale. It is an RTS made by one of the developers of Total Annihilation, a PC game from the 1990s. It has a sequel. It's on Steam. It wasn't the Kickstarter one by the same person. It is not getting any guesses. Okay, Supreme Commander. Oh. Yes. I did not know that was connected to Total Annihilation at all. Yeah, uh, it, it's... I know it's um, Kickstarter. Well, Planetary Annihilation is the same developer as well. Ah, okay. So you've got the Total Annihilation, you've got Total Annihilation Kingdoms, which no one likes to talk about, then you've got Supreme Commander, Supreme <laughs> Commander 2, and now you've got Planetary Annihilation. Planetary Annihilation, when they finally optimize it so that it works on more than, you know, super boffo <laughs> computers, that game is going to be absolute aces. You, you get... You can build a machine that ingests planets and turns them into tanks. You can build Galvatron? You can oh, sorry. build... Ah, I fucked that up! You can build Unicron. Unicron! You can build Unicron? You can build Unicron. That's the kind of game we're talking about here. <laughs> you can build <laughs> Unicron? You guys will never know how badly I fucked that up. <laughs> you can build Unicorns? You can build... Actually, you also can build Unicorns. Uh, hold on, we need to... Let's... Game of the year. Yep. Tom, go past the mic stand. Unicron and Unicorns. And Galvatron, apparently. Oh, right then. It's a NDS release of a action RPG series from Japan that was originally not ported on a lot of consoles or to Australia because we considered it too hard. Its name is one letter pluralized. Yes. There you go. Yes. Oh, is that an action RPG? Yes, I've, I've yeah. got all of them if you want to try them. They're really quite good. Um, I'm just not very good at sticking to an action RPG these days. I am very bad at East games. Yeah. Well, or... RPGs take a shit ton of investment. <laughs> that yeah. is their problem. Alright. The Windows release of a relaunch of an N64 title. It is about punching dinosaurs. Uh, Turok. Turok, yes. Alright. So bad at these this time around. A Windows re-release of a game that Jeb played a ton as a kid on the Genesis and that now features a Snow White dress in its advertising copy. King's Bounty! <laughs> I admit, I'm pitching really easily to Jeb at this point. <laughs> Alright, it's a sequel to a open-world crime game. Mafia 2? No. It one is, of the GTAs? It is one of the GTAs. This so, is 2008. what year are we in? 2008. That's gotta be, it's going to be GTA 4, right? Yes, it is indeed yes. GTA 4. Alright then. Now... <clears throat> It's a tactical RPG. Is it Fire Emblem? No. Ah. It's PlayStation 3 exclusive at this point. Valkyria oh. Chronicles. There you go. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you wanted hey. to share Wicked Jeb, that one was mine. <laughs> <clears throat> it has a bark button. Okay. Hey. Woo. That would be the Wii re-release? That would be the Wii release yeah. of Okami, Yes. And it is a franchise game. It's a Nintendo game. It's got eight different versions by now. It's a racer. It's Mario Kart? Mario Kart Wii. So this is all April 2008. <laughs> April 2008 is pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the... When you can look at when you look at the month and say, you know, that Grand Theft Auto game was pretty weak. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there, there are also, in the same month, we also have Star Ocean Second Evolution, but I don't know anything about that. I just know Star Ocean is a franchise most people have an opinion on. It's also an action RPG franchise. That's most of what I know about it. Yeah. I played the second it's one. Franchise that got, it's just a franchise that got much worse after the second one. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second one made me angry. This doesn't go till well. the end of time. Till the end of time can go till the end of hell. And then after that, just... <laughs> They did do a nice job of 3D backgrounds and pixel sprites. That was cool. They they look they look they look good. The the, the third and fourth Star Wars games look good. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that. But they, <laughs> they everything else, else can up. go away. Just fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> the also also came out this this uh, month last year was a game called Baroque. I don't know anything about that. But Nothing. It's apparently, a Wii release of a PS2 game huh. and Galactic Civilization 2. So yeah. It's a very generic title. So when Supreme Commander is in your lower half of games released in this week, at least this month, that's kind of special. Well, good job, April 2008. Keep up the good work! April is actually a pretty badass month in general. Looking back through this, this was really hard for me to do. This is why I went for the whole month. Because, like, we're probably going to be able to have really good Aprils all the way through April. <laughs> oh, is April good for video games? April appears to be really good for video games. Hmm, April, April, in fact, I know that several games that are favorites, like Okami, for example, came out in April. Um, Holy fuck shit, that game is good. Play what? that game. Go, go get it now. I'll wait. One of all Jeb's. Of you. you too. <laughs> one of Jeb's favorite games is uh, in an April release, and I think it's going to come up next week. But yeah, it's it's just April appears to be when the doldrums have been fully shaken off. There's no new consoles coming out, and they just dump content. Hmm. Don't like. Don't get me wrong. What part of part of the reason we know this happens? Part of the reason that April is going to be a good month. Is because Long. in March they launched the X Bone right at the end. So last year you have like Titanfall and Killer Instinct coming out the same month. <laughs> That's a pretty good month. Mm, you'd need an Xbox One. <laughs> yeah, but Killer Instinct. Well, isn't... for Killer Instinct, all you need is the Xbox One. Yeah, Killer Instinct, a free-to-play game that isn't evil. <laughs> If all you need is the Xbox One, that's like saying all you need is a fucking $800 console. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a kick for us. Anyway, so that was Retro Gaming News. That was that was the lightning round. And the winner is you, the listener. <laughs> Actually, I think the winner is Jed. Fox tried for the shared life system, but no, no, she got owned. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> so. He gets the crown, I just had to beat him up and take it in the next stage. Oh. This is like a wrestling. Way, into... The new Mario was really fun. <laughs> it's turning into Battle Block Theater. You have no idea how much of a motivator that crown is. <laughs> Wait, there's a crown, crown in the new Super Mario game? Please, please yeah, oh, yeah. the person who gets the best score in a stage gets a crown at the end. There's nothing else, basically. They just tally up your scores and the best person gets a crown. And then in the next stage, they're wearing that crown. They can drop <laughs> it when they get hit and someone else can grab it. And run around with that crown. Wii U? This is on the Wii U. Wii U, yes. Does this have online play? Ah, uh, I think it does. <laughs> does mean I have to get a Wii U? <laughs> I know it's got online rankings and stuff. Uh, it's yeah. Because I've, I I've figured out my budget for the next next few months, and I can afford a Wii U by like July or August. I I'm not gonna lie. I kind of want to see a let's play between <laughs> Holiday Jeb and Doc just to watch the fight over the crowd. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> That was. I like to think that that's an idea someone had at the very end and went, "Oh, we can do this," and just. <laughs> that's what we're here for now. <laughs> it's all about the crown. All right, so. So we talked for a bit about puzzles in the previous segment. Sorry, we talked for a little bit about difficulty in the previous segment. Part of that was puzzles and puzzle design. 
I thought we could just, because I've been playing the Secret World, puzzle design plays a fairly impressive part of that, and I thought it'd be a chance for us to talk about puzzles in general in games, both how to do them well, ones that we've liked, and ones that have been problematic, to say the least. <laughs> Why are you looking at me when you say that? I'm not looking Let at you. Let me tell you about schism. Yes, you are. I'm looking at the microphone, because I know Jeb is going to have a reaction when I use the words fire marble. Jeb's not in the microphone. Uh. Jeb's in the computer. Oh, oh sorry. I'm, I, I'm very sorry, Jeb. I wasn't looking at you directly when I addressed you, apparently. <laughs> but yes, uh, the fire marble. Uh. Jeb, would you like to expound on the fire marble puzzle for our listener? Spoilers for Ribbon. <laughs> the the fire marble puzzle is particularly infamous. Uh, it is extremely logical. It's extremely well thought out. As you play through, through Ribbon, you come across these these brass domes on each island. And you don't quite know what they are at first. But also, on each island, you'll come across a wooden eyeball. And the wooden eyeball, when you click on it, will show a Ribbonese number written in yellow on the back of it. Now, when you go to the uh, the schoolhouse, you will find out what the uh, Rivenese numbers are and also what the, the Rivenese numbers that correspond to each color are. Okay, so we've got a fair bit of tracking back and forth already. Well, this, this is stuff that you'll find in the game as you progress. Okay. Eventually, you'll get to another point where you'll see a projection of the entire world of Riven, including each... You'll see on each island each dome. If you've been recording which number goes with which dome, you'll be able to then, when you get to the fire marble puzzle itself, you'll have a grid represented that is the entirety of the the map of Riven, just as represented as a as a large square grid. And you need to place these colored marbles in. You'll need to place one of each. You'll need to place a, a, a colored marble on each location where there is a brass dome. But there are six marbles for five islands. Right. And you need to place the right five marbles. The one that you don't the one that you don't use, and you have to kind of think about the character of Gen, the antagonist of the game. Since the numbers are written in yellow, he wouldn't use the same color. <laughs> So that's the one you have to leave off. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm not kidding. That is pretty impressively annoying. <laughs> it makes perfect sense in game. It's just very, very aggravating, and I'm certain a lot, a certain a lot of people at this point consulted game facts. <laughs> I. I can't help but wonder, is it by any chance a yellow text that appears on a red or green ball? No, all the, all the, all the ball, all the, all the, um, all the wooden eyes are, are yellow. Oh, okay. So, sorry, just briefly wondering if they had somehow also made this harder for colorblind people when it was already quite hard. <laughs> the, the, the missed games are, have accessibility problems. Like the, the first one had a music puzzle. Mm. That obviously you could not play through if you were deaf. Uh, there's lots of color puzzles. Mist mm. Four had a lot of it had several sound based puzzles, but Mist Four, for as much as we don't talk about Mist Four, <laughs> did have a very nice hint system, which was one of the earliest ones I'd found where you could get different levels of hint. Mm. Uh, each level of hint you got would 
it would start off by just kind of nudging you in the right direction. Have you tried looking at this? Have you seen how this device works? Um, and it eventually got more and more specific, like, you need to start arranging these these mechanisms in a certain way. And then finally, you just say, look, just tell me what the answer is. <laughs> That's really good. I like, I've seen some, um, I've seen some game facts written in that kind of style as well. And I really appreciate those. Like, you know, most of the time you just need a hint. You don't actually need the full solution. It's nice to still be able to work something out. I really, I really like the, I, I, I have used a few hint throughs before and I really like them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to, say, Professor Layton, where the hint system was that same kind of thing, but a lot of the time the first hint was just like, it's look, a puzzle. Look at the puzzle. <laughs> look at the puzzle carefully. What the fuck did you think I was doing for the last hour, you top-hatted fuck? Well, I was, um, th- this this hint through system you mentioned, um, Zork Zero had it. Yeah? That's like 1990. I would not have expected that from a Zork. Yeah, uh, well, well, in, in true Zork style, it was mendacious. <laughs> in that it would, it when you typed in hint, it, or give me a hint, I remember that very distinctly as like a, a seven-year-old kid actually typing, give me a hint to the game, and it went, okay, here is a massive menu. Like, Holy crap, this is amazing. Um, a menu? Yeah, because it would say, all right, where are you stuck? And you get a big menu oh, select through where you were stuck, <laughs> and you click on an area, and then it shows you a whole bunch of other stuff. When it was like, okay, <laughs> are you stuck on this? Are you stuck on this? Are you stuck on this? And that, that was really, really nice. Four of the areas didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> In every single one of the areas, there was a puzzle that didn't exist. <laughs> we're just fucking with you. Well, no, it was it was done very deliberately to make sure that you didn't just go looking at the hint section to try and find guidance in general, <laughs> but rather that you would, if you were stuck on a problem and you could identify that problem, you could ask the game for help with that specific problem. So I thought that was really good. Also, it would dick with you if you tried to use it to get past the copy protection. <laughs> oh, this I remember. Yes. The copy protection in the game was... It, it, it used to be that there would be copy protection on the start of the game. It's like, you know, look up this page in the manual back. Look up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those were often very rotable. Whereas what the Zork games, what Zork Zero did was it came with a calendar, and that calendar was a commemorative calendar showing you statistics and, and information about every single one of the useless flathead royalty. And the flathead royalty uh, all had little tidbits and tricks and, and notes about them, and they all came up in puzzles. So you kind of always had to have that calendar on hand. And whenever a calendar-related thing came up in the, the hint system, it was just like, just consult with the calendar. And there would only be two or three more hints. <laughs> and the next one, you go one down and says, no, really, consult the calendar. One more. Consult the calendar. You, you've got to have the calendar if you've got the game. Consult. And you go one deeper, it's like, oh, so you don't have the calendar. Delete the save. No way. Oh. Oh, what if you just lost your calendar? You love the game second hand. Yeah, well, it's not a problem that they thought they would have to deal with very much. I, in fact, did have a pirate copy of the game, so I discovered this the hard way. The system works. They, they also had, because this is the first like advanced parser Zork game, they had so common commands, or commands you would really need to type in that particular moment, were bound to the F1, F2, F3, etc. Um, so there's like, you know, look, uh, look, pick up, use, you know, drop, give, da 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 da. And F9 was give magic medallion to moose. 
<laughs> did that ever come up, or was that just there for funsies? There was no moose in the game. Sweet. There was no magic medallion. Just try that on every screen in the game still. The previous game had a magic medallion and a moose. Ah. <laughs> and I was playing both of them at the same time, so I thought, maybe I need to get the magic medallion and the moose in this game, and that'll make Zork Zero work. Did it work? No. 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 <laughs> no, no, it didn't work. Well, did you need to give them an energy to moose? Was that still a solution to a puzzle? Uh, no. Aww. No, you know. Um, That's extra disappointing. On the other hand, this in Zork Zero there were there were a multiple points where the game would default to classic puzzles. Like there was a uh, pedal style jumping puzzle. I can't remember the name of the original game. It's based so Tower of Hanoi. And there was a Tower of Hanoi. And the Tower of Hanoi, you would go. It's a, it's a, it's a, this is how you do a Tower of Hanoi. This is how you. This is how the Tower of Hanoi works. And then the last entry was just like, okay, reset it and type in this string. And it would just give you every single move required to finish the Tower of Hanoi. Because it's Tower of Hanoi. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's a, it's a Tower of Hanoi. It's, it's a really conventional yeah, yeah, sure. puzzle. We're kind of used to it. So I thought it was really nice of them to just say, look, we're not gonna, we're not gonna bullshit you that, oh, you know, you need to come up with a solution to a Tower of Hanoi. It is a thing you can brute force. So for all of the puzzles like that, and there were a couple of puzzles which weren't like that that looked like it. Like, oh, this is a classic game. There's, there's, there's a point where you play a card game. And the whole point of that card game is it's infinitely, infinitely complex and none of the rules make any sense. Because in the in the calendar, there is a tip that's like, this will always win you the game if you do this in this card game. So you basically have to sit there watching bullshit happen until you get the opportunity to do that thing. So that's copy protection. But for the rest of those kinds of puzzles, they very explicitly took the approach that players needed the means to uh, finish certain types of puzzles, even if they weren't good at them, which I thought was really good. What about you, Fox? Have you played any puzzle games with? <laughs> um, I actually, I was thinking about this when you started, and I, it seems like I played a very small amount of puzzle games, ultimately. Hmm? Snap, Frozen. You're talking about Pokemon Shuffle? Yeah, Shuffle. Always misname. Well, yeah. anyway, you've got multiple names for it, but they're all wrong. Yeah, it's true. Um, but there's nothing really to talk about there. It's just a, it's just a match four kind of game. It's, there's almost no puzzle to it. <laughs> it's... Well, you know, it, it's just about where tiles spawn. It's not really designed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of them are kind of kind tricky of... because they took away all the Pokemon that you go in with and just make a set pattern of them, and it always plays out the same way. So that was kind of interesting, but that's the only one where they've done anything unusual. I was going to say, I particularly like those those ones. It happens a few times, I think. I only noticed it once for Haxorus, I think. Anyway, I could be wrong, but I only remember there being one. Usually, when it says like moves, uh, moves remaining, when you start off and you have three moves, it's like, okay, there's probably a set pattern I'm looking to trigger. <laughs> I've seen a couple that seem like that, but I've since replayed them, and they do spawn differently each time. So, huh. well, the uh, the other thing I've been playing that's got a lot to do with puzzles lately is the Secret World, and I've kind of talked about this to a couple of people, so I figured I probably should just record it and put it out there. Where the Secret World is an MMO, and that usually comes with a bunch of baggage. And I don't know if any of you remember puzzles in MMOs. Like, uh, World of Warcraft has tried to have some puzzles, but for the most part, <laughs> it's... They're not really puzzles so much as they are just, you know, press a button. Yeah, it, it, you, especially with the addition of quest finders, because the objects you're looking for are almost always fixed. So, you know, go find Mancrick's wife. Well, Mancrick's wife is at this location. Go there. Go there. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I, thought the, I thought that puzzle was... Spam Baron's chat for an hour and a half until somebody de- somebody gets annoyed and tells you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's a perfect example of how that kind of puzzle didn't work in World of Warcraft. Well, not since they put Quest Tracker in. 
Yeah, Quest Tracker Mage. Well, they've also since gotten rid of that. Yeah, Mage Swap is not a puzzle anymore. They even got rid of Quest Tracker, and I'm like, no, no, don't get rid of it. Your game is not so good that I'm going to spend hours of wondering how to stupid work. Yeah, Quest Trackers are wonderful, and they should be in every MMO. Yeah, they really should. And even the Secret World has one. Look, I can appreciate the sort of open worldy kind of approach, but then. Okay, you have to adjust XP according to the time it's going to take people to wander around like that, and yeah. you have to make the experience of wandering around and playing the game and finding random shit all to be enjoyable enough to justify that, mm-hmm. and no MMO has really done that. Yeah, I'm not saying the Secret World does, but the Secret World has, for a start, the quest sim system is completely different to what you're used to. In the in World of Warcraft, you run to an area, there's a dozen people with question marks, over, well, exclamation points over their heads. You pick up every single one of them, and then you look at the map and say, okay, how can I, how can I accomplish all of these at once? In the Secret World... What is, what is my primary path? Exactly. In the Secret World, you can only have one major quest at a time, and there are side quests. Side quests are little bits and pieces. They're things like, there's a package here that's been left unattended, and there's an address on it. Maybe that person is still there. Why not go do that? Or, there's a whole bunch of zombies near this thing, why not blow them the hell up? <laughs> Typically That's speaking, my kind of side quest. Well, yeah, surprisingly, a lot of what we could consider, would consider hunt quests or whatnot are there as side quests. Which means, if you want to go out and hunt a lot, you can totally do that, and here's an XP reward for going and killing a bunch of zombies. But, we don't require you, it's not going to be part of the main quest. There's also the story quest, which is, it's just a giant breadcrumb trail with boss encounters and it's designed to keep you moving through the zones over time. You you can do, just do the story quests if you're a mad fool, like I am, <laughs> and that will get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, you'll, you'll get two major boss fights and just get smeared across the scenery because you haven't bothered to do anything else. <laughs> but the major quests are where it gets interesting, because the major quests come in three flavors. You've got normal, which is just MMO style. Alright, here we have it has seven levels of this one quest. First, we want you to go out and pick up these things. Now we want you to bring those things back to the person who sent you for them. Now that person is going to make them into weapons. Now we want you to test those weapons on zombies. Now we want those on- now we want you to take all of the weapons you just made down into the sewers and blow up a big thing for zombies. Right? You know, it's 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 nested. It is its own little quest track on its own, but it's one thing. And it's all integrated and it all has a certain sense of narrative to it. Then there are sabotage missions and investigation missions. And sabotage missions are just, basically it's a stealth mission. And a, you know, stealth in MMOs doesn't usually go super well. It's usually pretty bad. And I'm not going to say that that secret world does it perfectly. Sabotage missions, I do find them very frustrating. And lag can occasionally mean you get spotted by things you don't need to. But sabotage missions are almost all solo instances. Other players can't come along and fuck them up for you. You go to a door, you step inside, and it's like, alright, great, you are now playing the stealth game. You know, you are now trying to dodge the lasers, you are now trying to avoid being spotted by the guards. I do like that they seem to instance things heavily, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know where open world design became like the holy grail of MMOs, because I think it's a horrible idea and I wish they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So anyway, nice to hear that Secret World is an old, you know, full aging that concept. And also, uh, in sabotage missions, typically, if you fight anything, it's a reduction in the XP reward. Sabotage missions are explicitly not about combat. They want you to try and think your way through them. So, points to them for that. Then there's the investigation missions. 
which are kind of mind-blowing in that I would not have expected anyone to put these in any game. These are the puzzle ones? These are the puzzle ones. So I did a couple of investigation missions in the very first areas. This is like your introduction to these things. And one of them, let's see, first I had to uh, walk down the street listening very carefully to the sound coming out of my computer because where I was, I was looking for an underground tunnel and my footsteps changed sounds based on that. Oh, God. So right there, that's wrong, because I normally play these games with the sound off. Exactly, exactly. But it's also noted that you can rest the mouse. It, it notes if you're differently able in the guide on their website. If you're differently able, you can't hear it. Rest the mouse under your character's feet, and it'll change icon. Oh, that's nice. Uh, which I thought was just a really nice touch. Uh, then you have. Then I wound up going into working out which building in the town hall was referred to by a slang term, finding in that in that town hall uh, paintings by Albrecht Dürer and recognizing that they were by Albrecht Dürer. Because um, you, like, you know, post there were paintings all over the walls, and not typically when they it's like, okay, the one that you want to look at is lit up. No, they're all lit up, and they all have plaques, and you, and they all those plaques have cryptic messages. The only one you're looking for is the one by Albrecht Dürer. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Who is, by the way, not not a particularly like pop culture well known kind of painter. We're not talking about a famous painting that people would recognize, no, even if they're lay people. You're really thing. not. You're really not. And then underneath that, there is an ex there is an inscription which refers to um, in the history of kings, which is a Bible reference. And you look it up, and you're like, hang on, sorry, no, it refers to a clock. And the clock it refers to a clock in the time of kings. And you look at a clock and you realize that clock has been stuck for literally centuries. It's like, oh, hang, hang, hang on, what, what? The, it's got three numbers. It's oh, this is a Bible reference. It's a Bible reference. Hang on, there are three numbers. Oh, it's Second Kings three nineteen. Sorry, three eleven. I think that's it. And that becomes that gives you a verse, which then gives you a sequence of numbers because it's a reference to King Solomon receiving tribute from the Queen of Sheba. You then punch those numbers into a passcode on the back of a church, which then takes you down into a basement where someone's computer is unattended and you have to hack it using passwords that you deduce from the town itself by looking up on a browser in-game the real website that we can go to now of this town to find <laughs> their the, the fictional town's uh, promotional website complete with all sorts of, um, you know, it's a full, it's like a full tourist website. Good fucking and this is the first thing. By the end of the investigation puzzles we had at one point, and I do this as a friend who had done these puzzles before, and she was like, okay, look, I gotcha. Like, if it gets too hard, I'll just step in. <laughs> at one point, we were, redu we were reducing sheet music to letters to decode a word to put back into sheet music to play on an instrument. This this level of cryptic... That actually sounds like the easiest thing you've described so far, speaking <laughs> as someone who has a very basic understanding of sheet music. This this bullshit level of cryptic oh, crossword fuck. massiveness, and they are huge, and they are elaborate, and every time I look at one of them while I'm doing it, I'm like, am I seriously doing this? Because the whole point of this is to evoke the feeling of these big National Treasure-style stupid conspiracy uh, <laughs> nonsense. But they do it so well, and the best thing about this is they're repeatable. <laughs> Why are they repeatable? All the missions are in, all the missions in Secret Worlds are repeatable. They're all timers. So if you if you really like just killing zombies, you can go back and do the killing zombie stuff. That's cool. If you want to go back, that's fine. We're cool with that. You, know, you don't have to wait a while. Yeah. But still, the thing is, if you finish a normal if you finish what they call a normal mission 
and its cooldown timer kicks in, you get, I think it's two-thirds of the original amount of XP. Oh, so if you repeat it. Yeah, if you repeat it. You've done this before. You know what's coming. It's not that. If you do a sabotage mission a second time, it gives you 80% of the XP. It's like, knowing something isn't going to yeah, help. This is an execution. Investigation puzzles, for a start, they give enormous amounts of XP. <laughs> they give you like 10%. And they go down to 10% the second time. <laughs> so you have this, this, like, I cannot believe anyone would bother to put this kind of puzzle in an MMO, let alone make it a major type of quest that every zone has four or five of these things. And they're usually enough XP when you do them to, like, catapult you to the next zone. They are incredible pieces of design just because they say we're willing to uh, we're willing to entertain the possibility that someone might like this <laughs> well more importantly we're willing to accept the probability that someone won't because uh, you know that's a risky proposition for a designer yeah we, we people can. are a lot less likely to do content like that than just you know let's bash up some zombies especially in an mmo People have expectations of it. I'm not saying it's not cool. I hope people really enjoy it. There's this big fear of the of the untouched content, the idea that designers have spent X hours making things that players will never see. And a reasonable fear. Who yeah. wants to put that much effort into something and not have it be acknowledged at least? It's like how Dragon Age's introduction works at last check, where yeah, every different race has a different story because the opening arc of it is slightly different, and then you get the main story. No idea. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, Jeb is the Dragon Age expert on this. And it only applies uh, for Origins. Right. So, Which is where the word Origins comes from. Oh, oh. So, you get to play the, the introduction for... It, it varies, depends on race and uh, quality. Oh, yeah, I think I got a different one because I played a mage. And I think mages yeah, are all, all mages start, Mages all start in the Circle Tower. Yeah. Uh, if you're an elf, if you're an elf, warrior, or rogue, you can either be have the Dalish... Elf origin or the city elf. Uh, any dwarves start off as either a dwarf, noble, or commoner, and humans start off as a noble. I, of course, played an elf boy wizard. That's <laughs> what still, I do. Still, the, the, the overall design of puzzles in games, uh, there is more that we can do that we're not doing, um, and I just I just get frustrated when we when we wind up with this these these oppositional forces of difficulty and accessibility when we already have existing systems like puzzles where you can make a puzzle accessible and still make it hard like with the footsteps thing like we want you to we want you to walk up and down the street you you definitely have to walk up and down the street paying attention to something changing but if you're deaf, we're not going to make it be the thing that you can't pay attention to. Well, for color-based puzzles, just, you know, make the objects different shapes or add a design on them. Yeah. So they at least, yeah, if you can't go this is yellow and this is red, you can at least go this has a swirl on it and this has a spike on it. Yeah. You know, it's not hard to do this. Those are really basic steps, but, uh, you know, that that solves one of your accessibility problems and it costs you so little, so just do it. That's all for this week's episode of the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Until next week, that's been Fox. That's been Talon. And that's been Jeb. Stay tuned next week when we have our exclusive first look on an upcoming feature. Nolan North is Steve Blum in Troy Baker's Hey, It's That Guy, the Yuri Lowenthal story. <laughs>
understand a word of that. <laughs> <laughs> so You've murdered me. Yeah, Talon is on Points. <laughs> He's all red. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, okay, he's going to end it at that point of the joke. He's going to end at that point. No, no, he's going to keep going. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, stopping recording.